Bonjour, I am Estelle, your host, and this is Wildlife Conservation Insights, the podcast dedicated to the connections between wildlife and human being. You want to know more about wildlife, about what's going on, why some species are getting endangered, what are the challenges our world is facing? You want to meet people that dedicate their life to, sale, to save animal species? Specialists that want to understand better the new challenges animal and human are facing. You want to be proactive and also participate in species conservation. This podcast is for you. Welcome to Wildlife Conservation Insights. I am Estelle, a French veterinarian who specialized in zoological and aquatic medicine, and I am passionate about wildlife. This podcast focuses on the role of human being on animal species conservation and how each individual human being, you and me, can help protect and preserve animal species. If we can teach people about wildlife, they will be touched. Because humans want to save things that they love. Let's dig deeper. I am extremely excited to start the Wildlife Conservation Insights podcast. I am a French veterinarian who specializes in zoological aquatic medicine. It all started after a PhD in cellular biology and toxicology, where I decided to go back to veterinary school to become a veterinarian, which will take care of all kinds of animals. In 2014, I left France to live in the U.S., for three years, doing a highly specialized training and went back to Europe to work in two zoological institutions before creating my own company. I am taking care of all kinds of animals, from fish to the largest mammals. I am also a human being that before COVID-19 used to travel around the world. We human need to respect our planet and all its inhabitants. Why do I care? I care as I used to work closely with critically endangered species, and these species are facing old and new threats, all linked to human activity, either directly or indirectly. My goal is to share my vision and thoughts through this podcast. I would like to share with you guys the insights from other specialists working with wildlife. Welcome everyone. My guest today is Dr. Andrea Bogomolny, a dear friend from long time and an interdisciplinary scientist full of enthusiasm, joy, and hope. Andrea earned a PhD in pathobiology from the University of Connecticut, where we met each other. She's also an artist and a naturalist. Her research is directed towards understanding and interpreting interdisciplinary aspects of ocean health and has largely focused on pathogen transmission in marine animals and the marine environment within the framework of One Health. The projects she has developed include research and outreach on marine mammals as sentinel of ocean and human health as well as projects to address the often overlooked challenges of rebounding marine mammal populations in the context of health, ecosystem function, and conflict. 
Andrea Kofundin and currently chair the Northwest Atlantic Seal Research Consortium. Without further ado, it is my great pleasure to welcome my guest, Dr. Andrea. Hi! How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing so well talking to you. It makes me so happy. Yeah, me too. It has been such a long time. Oh my goodness. I'm really, really, really excited to have you as my guest today. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm just I'm just thrilled to share whatever I can today with you. Oh, great, great, great. Wonderful. So just uh, let me just tell me a little bit just about uh, the weather you're having today. Is it sunny, like windy, chilly? I'm on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and it is windy and sunny. And for us, it's warm, but it's probably in the 50s. But it's for, for right now, it's beautiful. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know this place. So I know how beautiful it can be. Yeah, you're really, really lucky. For me, uh, so right now I'm in France. The sky is blue. It's springtime, so everything is also beautiful. Flowers are blooming, and uh, I have to say it gives me a lot of uh, sun in my heart as well. So. <laughs> same, same here. I'm looking right now at all my tulips and a flower called forsythia, which is bright yellow blooming right outside my window. So the same. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you draw it? Because I know you're such a wonderful and skilled drawer. Like you put draw amazing things. So did you did you do it? I, I haven't drawn spring, but I'm actually funny that you say that. I'm actually working on a kid's book. <laughs> oh wow. So awesome. Not the flowers. I'm drawing the this it's a story about the species that I uh, study and is really important to me. So that's what I'm working on. <laughs> okay, maybe we can talk about that a little bit later because I want to know more about that. So just tell me about yourself, basically how you got into this field. So I know we have been knowing each other for a long time and I know you have had really long path, maybe as long as mine, <laughs> to get to where you want to be now. So yeah, t tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. And I, I will say I'm always, it doesn't matter how old I am, will always ask, what do I want to be when I grow up? So I'm always, you know, trying to answer that question. So there's always so much to do. But starting of how I got in the field and where I am now, <laughs> I grew up in California in San Francisco. I went to college at UC Davis thinking, oh, I, I, I want to be a vet. That's how I can work with animals. And then I realized there's so many other ways that you can actually work with animals and wildlife. So I got a degree in toxicology and wildlife biology and art because I like to draw, as you mentioned, and illustrate. So I did both. And I thought, well, I, I really I really like seals and I want to be able to study them and travel. And even though I grew up in California where there are seals, I went to the other coast. I went to the east coast of the U.S., to Woods Hole and started my master's there and studied contaminants in seals. And I fell in love with it. I never thought I'd stay on the East Coast. And I've been here 20 years now, um, even though California is beautiful. Woods Hole Mass and the Cape Cod area is just amazing. And I started really getting interested in health and ocean health and how mm -hmm. all the animals connect to our health. 
So I ended up doing a lot of work. I worked for years with the organization called the Cape Cod Stranding Network and did marine mammal stranding response. I worked at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. And then my, my wonderful advisor and mentor said, go back to school, go get a degree. <laughs> right. Good went, advice. Yeah, I went to University of Connecticut and I, I, I met you eventually. Thank you. Yes. And there, right? That's definitely <laughs> best, best encounter, best meeting ever. <laughs> best ever. Um, and it really was. And I studied pathobiology and then I kept studying seals because they're so important. They're such great indicators and did a lot of other work with um, strandings, marine mammal strandings in the Caribbean. I've worked putting together conversations between fishermen and scientists about seal conflicts and just kept... Really how, how, can you explain to us a little bit about that? So how do you... So so why why is it important? Because it is it is crucially important. So why it is important and how did you get to do it? Yeah, I think it's one of the most important things still to me that I'm still working on. And it goes back actually to working in the Caribbean, um, doing these marine mammal stranding trainings for countries all through the Eastern Caribbean. And there I really realized and learned about how important it is to listen to people who might have different ideas, different mm -hmm. concepts, different perception, because you put yourself in a different place that's new and you're not just there to teach, you're there to listen and you, you're there to really learn from other people. So with the seals on Cape Cod, there's a lot of conflict and conversation that happens. And so I, I use that skill to listen, to really understand what was happening. As a scientist, I think our, our first go-to is we want to solve the problem. We want to give an answer. We want to mm -hmm. find the answer. But really, it's just being quiet and listening to mm -hmm. hear what may be happening around us and just listen. So that's what I did. <laughs> because... On Cape Cod, the reason why so many seals die or are injured is because of fishing gear. And mm -hmm. that's where it came from, was really trying to figure out, well, how do we solve this problem instead of just saying, this is the problem, how do we solve it? And so that's how I started talking more to the fishing community and figure out, well, what can we do together to, to solve this problem? And part of that is from putting together uh, a consortium that I chair, which is called the Northwest Atlantic Seal Research Consortium. And that group really just brings people together to talk. And that's how it started. So I've been doing work on fishing boats to try and figure out how to keep seals from getting caught in nets. And it's pretty incredible. And just talking to each other and sharing knowledge. Yeah. So yeah, what the story you're just um, telling us uh, actually use different skill sets. So you have to use you have to be a little bit of a psychologist as well because you have to listen to people really well and understand what is what is their problem, and then use your scientific background and skills to analyze and find out solution. Basically, figuring out what the problem is and yeah, and just uh, addressing it. So it's uh, it's a it's tough, but it's it's actually super exciting to be this uh, this key player, really. It's it's so exciting, and it's really brought me into a whole nother field where I I learned from you. You can do many things in life. <laughs> 
Yes, you can have different life in your own life. Yes. And the field of, of science, of understanding that intrigues me now and I'm so passionate about is really looking at conflict resolution and human wildlife conflict management and how you do that. And it's a skill that I think it would be so amazing if more scientists had that sort of in their back pocket mm-hmm. and at least at the time to understand how to resolve our own conflicts. Because I think within even the scientific community, it would do all of us the world of good to be able to communicate better with each other and share ideas, of course, right? We want to make the world better for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to so many of the issues for conservation that we're passionate about, it's it's not the issues with the animals or the wildlife. It's the issues with the people. <laughs> exactly. And no, that's, that's definitely true. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wish so much that I knew that when I started and integrated that learning from the beginning. But right now, it's been so valuable to take that approach and apply it to so much of what's happening. And in my the species or the animals that I really care about are seals or pinnipeds. And on this coast, we're very lucky that we put lots of great conservation efforts in place and the species are coming back. So they're rebounding, mm-hmm. but no one really thought about well, what do we do when they come back? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's well, really- but pinnipeds are part of this, the food chain. So yeah. Exactly, exactly. And bigger things eat them that are coming back like sharks. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the species I wanted to get to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so exactly, exactly. So if we have an ecosystem that's coming back into balance, which is what we fought so hard for, we also have the bigger animals coming back as well. <laughs> exactly. So. But but it makes a healthier place and a healthier planet. And that's also difficult for people to understand that, for example, let's take shark and great white sharks. They are, they are part of the, I mean, this is their place. The ocean is their home and we are just guests in their home. So we have to find a way to, to live together, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we have to find a way to live together and coexist. And that's the word for me that sort of drives, I think, so much of what I do now is how do we coexist? Mm -hmm. So do you do only one job? It seems like you have many jobs and many (laughs) doing many things. You're you're having a lot of different projects in mind. Can you can you just Tell us a little bit about one of these projects, maybe. Yeah, and I'll 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 start though too, and it's exactly that is I do many things, <laughs> and I do many things because I think it's the best way to get such a, a diversity of ideas and connect with so many different people. And a big part of what I do is I teach because I love teaching, so mm-hmm. I teach at night and I teach marine mammal classes, marine conservation classes. And it can be from, you know, our our older uh, generations to our younger generations, from college to retirees. So it's really important to me to teach. And then I also um, still head up, even though during this time of life where everything is a little bit quieter and more difficult, I do field work at the Shoals Marine Lab, coordinating a SEAL 
research program that looks at the the long-term sort of history of what seals are doing in that region in Maine, which is a beautiful place. It's amazing. And I chair the Northwest Atlantic Seal Research Consortium, which is an amazing uh, volunteer group of people that are really just trying to organize and get conversation happening, facilitate discussion. And the project that I'm so passionate about in all of this work is still working to mitigate bycatch of seals. That's really what is my passion right now. And I think puts all those pieces together from studying health, disease even, or why seals might be more likely to be caught in nets. You know, they might be looking for an easy meal, something where they don't have to work as hard because mm-hmm. they're not feeling great, <laughs> to yeah. how we really understand where our food comes from and think about sustainability and the communities around us that need to fish. And I really respect that as well. It's an amazing way of life. But how do we do it in a way that we can minimize our impacts on the ocean itself? So that's the project that I'm most passionate about that I work with. And it's really about having the trust between scientists and fishermen and a whole community of people together to do the work. So it goes way beyond the data. It goes way beyond, you know, publishing a paper. It's really years and years of just building that trust with one another to get the work done. Yeah, it's uh, it's human skills, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. And mm-hmm. when you can do that, then you can start really having fun. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. You know, what you're telling me is so important because... I think us as as veterinarians, um, we have a lot to learn from you. Like I have a lot to learn from you, for example, because when you go to school, you don't learn how to be, you learn how to be a good communicator, but you don't learn how to be someone that is going to pass along, sorry, to pass along your passion or to explain really well to the public, you know, what is happening you most of the time you focus on on fact on the animal and not necessarily on people but the most important is actually focusing on people yeah i i couldn't agree more and i think that's how we can make such big differences about the world that we care about and i think that's often forgotten it's the people are part of it too yes <laughs> Sometimes I don't think as people who appreciate wildlife and conservation and nature, we just want to separate that out. But it's so important to remember that it, it is us and we are a part of the system too. So as hard as it is, we have to learn to really talk to one another. Mm-hmm. So my, my next question is, if we get a little bit more in depth, how would you say that your action participate in species conservation? I mean, from what you just said, it seems obvious, but can you give us an example? Like, yeah. um, you know, basically something you had to deal with and uh, just a tangible example. Absolutely. And it's a, I think the best example actually comes from this work and it's very recent, which is exciting. So again, it goes back to talking to people and and trying to be involved. I always say, you know, step out of your comfort zone 
and be in a place where the issue that's important to you isn't being talked about, which is very hard, especially for me, because I don't like doing that. <laughs> mm, wow, challenging. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you become a, a public speaker or, you know, be in a room that you may not know people. And, you know, a room can be an actual physical room or a space or a topic. Yes. And so recently, there's been a lot of discussion about this issue of seals being being caught in nets. And there's a really high number of those animals that are dying in fishing nets. And a lot of them are also entangled. So they get entangled and then they survive, but they're not doing great because they have these entanglements. And in our management system, in our policy system, they don't get counted. They're, they're not, they just sort of disappear in the numbers. And so this was an issue starting from 20 years ago, right? Working with stranding networks that became so important to me. Mm-hmm. Studying health, and I did lots of what we call necropsies. So these little <laughs> animal autopsies, trying to figure out what happened. And it was always it was always the thing. It was always what was the most dire or, or what we wrote down in our data sheets as being, this is what kills these animals. And 20 years later, we're still struggling with that same issue. From talking to people, the consortium, the Northwest Atlantic Seal Research Consortium, has been recognized as a trusted, unbiased scientific partner, and also one that works with communities that can talk across different fields. And um, the U.S. Marine Mammal Commission actually recommended that our our management and science system here through NOAA, which is for those, you know, not here in the, you know, the U.S. is yes. who, reg- who regulates ocean animals and ocean systems, um, recommended that that huge group, this huge federal organization work with the consortium to help remedy this issue. So once you can use that communication skill and get that data to other people, then you can start making changes. And that's where this intersection of science and policy and management can really make a difference. And again, it really goes back to talking to people and understanding how this bigger system works and putting the pieces into play. So this is really exciting to me. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so wonderful. There's a way forward to actually make changes and all mm-hmm. of us working together, including fishermen, including scientists, in a way that maybe we can actually find a solution to this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and take action to solve mm-hmm. it, because also sometimes even if you find out what's going on and you know it and you have evidence, mm-hmm. it can just get lost in the process and, and nothing, nothing will happen to actually solve the problem. So this is uh, this is extremely exciting. And uh, well, congratulations. That's great. <laughs> Thing. Now we have, yeah. to, we have to do the work and keep the conversations going. It, it yeah. never never ends, right? It's always ongoing. Exactly. So it never ends. It's always ongoing. And for doing that, you need a lot of energy. So how do you get your energy? Like who and what or what inspire you? How do you get that? Oh, well, people like you inspire me as well. <laughs> who are there to listen and share stories and be there. I think this year, especially the thing that keeps me going are the wonderful people in our lives and really looking for those of of us all around who are willing to lift each other up and, and keep each other going. That's really what keeps me going. And I'm so lucky that I have great mentors and great friends that really help 
And when they're not there and it seems like there isn't anyone, I'll do that for other people. And that really helps me too, to keep going is realizing yes. there's so many amazing young future conservationists out there that are looking for a way to get involved and to be active and yeah. help that. That really helps me out. And then I also paint when I can or draw. That really helps. And I go see the ocean. <laughs> I take well, that's ocean such out. a source of energy. Ocean is, wow, that's wonderful. I, yeah, I know I used to go there um, close to the ocean as well. It was in Florida, but still ocean. And yeah. I have to say each time now, I, now that I'm in France, it's the Atlantic Ocean and the West Coast of France. But every time I go there, I can really feel so much energy. And uh, so I can definitely understand that you you get your your inspiration from there. Yeah. yeah. Definitely the ocean. It's a big part of it. So if I'm ever, ever sort of in a, um, what am I going to do today? How am I going to solve this problem? Or how do I tackle this? I just go for a walk. Yes. <laughs> so uh -huh. For a walk. Wow. Helpful. And, and I can't forget this. I love to cook. So I've been doing a lot of cooking. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're a really good cook as well. I remember that. <laughs> you you are so skilled you have so many talent that's crazy which yeah. also I would say I never realized and this is where everybody I would say you know whatever you're passionate about keep doing it but I never realized that cooking is a really great way to bring people together <laughs> yes exactly yeah cooking like food and wine Yep. Yeah, you bring people together and they start talking and then from one yeah, from one talk to the other then you can actually that's how that's how you get, get great ideas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So never underestimate the the wonderful energy and good power of just cooking. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great advice. So you you teach actually, as you said, young people, I would say teenagers, right? So from about in college, it's about 18 to like 22, 23 would be like the yes. average age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then I, I teach, I started teaching um, through the pandemic, a senior college class for retired people who are more like 60. And that's also been incredibly fun. Yeah, I, I bet. So through your teaching, since you're teaching about conservation, basically, do you deliver them a specific message? Uh, okay, you're telling them about science, but do you do you go further than that, I would say? Yes, you know me too well. Yes, I do. <laughs> Always. In my marine mammal classes, it's so important. We actually, the goal of the course at the end is to critically think about conflict. And I think with the marine mammal field, there's so many where we need to know anatomy, physiology, the basics. I always say the building blocks. You know, how do you how do you understand how a car works? You have to know how the engine runs and mm -hmm. where the oil goes, right? So it's the same thing learning about different topics. So they they first have to understand the basics <laughs> and then from that, we can understand the bigger challenges, um, whether it's ocean noise or pollution, thinking about um, interactions with fishing gear or, or vessels, large ships, 
because you have to know the anatomy and the physiology first. But the ultimate message is how do we how do we solve problems together? What is it we need to know to think about these conservation challenges? And then how do we get involved in order to do it? So I always yes. say it's so easy to lecture, but I'm really trying to teach and get people to critically think about the world around them. And mm-hmm. marine mammals just offer an incredible way to get excited about topics that might seem really hard to grasp. So whether it's biological oceanography or physical oceanography, those topics may seem really big. But when you can put an animal that you can relate to into that story, it becomes more tangible and it becomes more personal. I think especially one of the places that I teach is called the Mass Maritime Academy. And these wonderful cadets are going to be in the field. You know, they're going to be the captains of large ships or running the maritime industry and come into contact with these animals and be able to communicate with other people about what they do. So that's really, I think, the message. And then the ultimate message, which I tell everybody I can talk to, is how important ocean health is and how we are connected in so many ways to the world around us. And the health of the ocean reflects our health as well. I think that's really the ultimate message that I, I try to tell people. Yeah, take care of the ocean. Yeah, taking care of our planet and taking care of the ocean because what is happening to the ocean is actually happening to us. Yes. So, yeah, so you you literally, you, you help people understand and then be proactive in their life, not only for their professional life, but also in their daily life. That's my hope. That's yes. Yeah. And I'm so grateful and lucky to live in a place, I think, that people are so connected to the ocean where their personal and professional lives are intersect in so many different ways. So the connection to the ocean really is a great teaching tool to understand how important it is to think about that big picture and what we do um, from, you know, using less plastic in our daily life, you can actually see the the results in your your walks every day mm-hmm. or you get in the work that people do here. So I think that's a, a more tangible and very lucky to see those impacts almost right away, which maybe some people can't see right away. But when you walk on a beach and there's no garbage, <laughs> yes. you can see the results of one's actions very mm-hmm. clearly. So that's a great thing. And there's a lot of efforts here to protect inland waters or coastal areas as well, because that's where we all live. So there's a bigger um, incentive to try and see what we want to see on a daily basis. Definitely. So we are we are actually close to the, the end of this uh, podcast, to this episode. And um, I would like to ask you if you had a, a last word to, to tell to... To our listener, what what would what do you want to tell them? Oh, I would say something that always comes to mind because as I, I learn about how important it is to talk to people, <laughs> sometimes yes. it feels like you're alone in the world and, and it's so hard to do everything. But we have a big community out here of people that want to help and help you become the person you want to be. But even if it is just you, one person can make a really big difference. So it goes both ways where 
you're not alone. You have this great community to help, but at the same time, one person can do a lot. So that's yes. my message. Yeah. Yeah. Taking little steps one at a time, but doing it consistently will make a, a difference. I um, love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, Andrea, thank you so, so, so much for your time and this wonderful discussion that we just had. I love listening to you. That's just uh, give me goosebumps. You know, I now I, I have so much energy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> same as style the same. Thank you so so much. We, we with that we'll um, now end uh, this episode, and I wish everyone a really good uh, end of your day if it's daylight for you, of course. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Wildlife Conservation Insights Podcast. You can find more about myself and the show, including our guests, on estelvet.com. If you like it, share it. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Each week, I will select a question or a review from you and will present it to the next podcast. Go to estelvet.com for further information and articles to go deeper into each episode. Bye-bye.